Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to continue our discussion about acute kidney injury, specifically related to intrarenal causes, with a deeper look at acute glomerular nephritis. In medicine, we use the term acute often, and it's important to understand that this references something that is short in duration, and most often, it is in combination with a recent onset. That being said, acute kidney injury, or sometimes referred to as acute renal failure, is a sudden episode of kidney failure or kidney damage where the kidney has decreased renal function manifested by an increase in serum creatinine level and BUN. This is also termed azotemia. Azotemia can occur with or without reduced urine output depending on where the injury is occurring. The spectrum of injury ranges from mild to severe, sometimes requiring renal replacement therapy or also known as dialysis. Acute kidney injury can often happen within a few hours or a few days brought on by several sources of causes that we'll talk more about. Acute kidney injury results in the kidneys not being able to filter efficiently and effectively, which causes the buildup of waste products in your blood such as ammonia, BUN, and creatinine, which are byproducts of muscle and protein breakdown. In addition, it causes fluid retention and electrolyte imbalance. Acute kidney injury can then also lead to detrimental effects of other organs such as the brain, heart, and lungs. It is important to understand that acute kidney injury can be reversible if the cause of the injury is treated in a timely manner. If the cause of the acute kidney injury remains untreated, this can lead to chronic renal failure. Glomerular nephritis is inflammation of the tiny filters called glomeruli inside the functional portion of your kidneys, which we refer to as nephrons. Glomeruli remove excess fluid, electrolytes, and waste from your bloodstream and pass them into the urine. Glomerular nephritis can come on suddenly, and we refer to this as acute, or gradually, which is referred to as chronic. When the glomeruli develop an inflammatory state, they become permeable to protein and red blood cells, which is not the case under normal circumstances. When they become permeable to protein and red blood cells, it allows these molecules to pass into the filtrate, which then becomes the urine and deprives the body of these substances. Glomerular nephritis is really this umbrella term for multiple disorders of the kidneys where there's damage to the glomerulus. We're going to focus on post-streptococcal glomerular nephritis, which often causes an acute state. This type of glomerular nephritis, post-streptococcal glomerular nephritis, is important to focus on because this is often where the NCLEX or nursing board exams focus their questions regarding this topic. We have to understand that there is difference between nephritic and nephrotic. 
A few weeks back, we talked about nephrotic syndrome, and this is where massive amounts of protein spill into the urine because the glomeruli become permeable to protein. However, during nephrotic syndrome, you do not see red blood cells spilling into the urine. In this case, nephritic syndrome, such as glomerular nephritis, you see larger amounts of red blood cells and only mild amounts of protein spilling into the urine. So why do we refer to this as post-streptococcal glomerular nephritis? Well, it's because it commonly develops after 14 days or so. So what I mean by that is 14 days after an infection, this can occur, and specifically after a strep infection. This can be a strep infection of the throat or even the skin. This is often seen in our pediatric population and primarily affects those ages 2 to 10 years old. The pathophysiology behind this is the strep infection occurs, and often it can be left untreated or undertreated, and then the immune system starts forming these antigen-antibody complexes in response to this untreated or lingering strep infection. These antigen-antibody complexes collect in the glomeruli, resulting in an inflammatory response. Remember, you have a high-pressure blood coming through the afferent arterioles to bring blood to the nephrons to be filtered. You mix in these antigen-antibody complexes, and now you've got a clogged system and a lot of inflammation. We have to remember that this is not a direct result of the strep infection or bacteria itself causing the damage, but rather it is the immune response to the strep infection that is untreated or undertreated and causes the development of these antigen-antibody complexes that then clog the glomeruli. This inflammatory state of the glomeruli allows red blood cells and protein to fall through to the Bowman's capsule and become part of the filtrate that will later become the urine. When the glomeruli become permeable to red blood cells, this causes a change in the patient's urine color. This is called hematuria, and the urine can take on a tea or a Coca-Cola colored appearance. In addition, the patient is also leaking protein into the urine, and we will see mild proteinuria, unlike nephrotic syndrome, where we notice massive amounts of protein in the urine, and they can lose up to three grams of protein in a day. So in glomerular nephritis, we've got this mild amount of protein being leaked into the urine, and this will cause hypoalbuminemia. Albumin is a protein made by your liver, and it plays an important role in maintaining oncotic pressure. That means it helps keep fluid in your bloodstream so it doesn't leak into other or surrounding tissues. It also carries various substances throughout your body, including hormones, vitamins, and enzymes. Hypoalbuminemia or low levels of circulating albumin can cause major swelling or edema. You may first notice swelling in the face and around the eyes, but then it can eventually lead to swelling of the extremities as well. The swelling will primarily be around the eyes and in the face and will be more predominant in the morning since the amount of protein loss is nowhere near the extent of nephrotic syndrome. It is predominantly seen in the eyes because the tissue around the eyes are so thin, which makes it more noticeable to small changes and fluid accumulation. So other than tea or Coca-Cola colored urine from the red blood cells and swelling due to excretion of the protein the patient can develop foamy, frothy urine due to that excess protein referred as proteinuria. Because the patient is having fluid retention due to the edema, 
that's caused by the fluid leaking into nearby tissue. Because of this reduced albumin level, the patient can also experience elevated blood pressure as a result of increased vascular volume and other symptoms such as heart failure due to fluid overload. This fluid overload state will increase the workload of the heart and can cause symptoms of heart failure like shortness of breath, respiratory distress with fluid accumulation around the lungs, causing frothy sputum or blood-tinged sputum. Patients also have decreased glomerular filtration rates, referred to as GFR, and this occurs because of the inflammation in the glomeruli. And this is in response to the immune response causing these antigen-antibody complexes. This reduces the amount of blood that is able to be filtered, and therefore we ultimately see an increase in amount of waste products such as BUN and creatinine. The patient will have low urinary output, known as oliguria, and patients can experience hypertension, as I said before, because of this increased vascular volume, and patients also have a tendency to have electrolyte imbalances, such as hyperkalemia, because the patient is entering into a state of renal failure and the kidneys are not able to excrete excess electrolytes, specifically potassium. So to review signs and symptoms that you'll see in, in post-streptococcal glomerular nephritis includes hypertension, decreased GFR, swelling in the face and the eyes, which will be mild but present, tea-colored or cola-colored urine due to the presence of red blood cells in the urine, a recent strep infection may be reported, elevated BUN and creatinine, proteinuria will be mild but present in the urine, and the patient will also probably have a positive ASO titer, which stands for anti-streptolysin, and this is used for diagnosis. Treatment for glomerular nephritis includes treating the underlying cause. Specifically, in cases that follow strep infection, it may improve on its own and require no treatment. However, we can treat symptoms such as fluid overload and edema and high blood pressure with appropriate treatment. As the nurse, we want to be sure that we are performing the appropriate and proper nursing interventions for these patients. This includes daily weights, monitoring input and output, especially now that these patients may be on diuretics to help remove excess fluid retention. We also want to be sure that we are putting, they are putting out enough urine. As I said before, these are typically pediatric patients after a strep infection that experienced glomerular nephritis. So we can calculate their recommended urine output by calculating one milliliter per kilogram per hour. Another thing we want to monitor with the urine is the color. Is the color returning to a normal color and fading away from that tea or cola color? We want to be monitoring for hyperkalemia due to low urine output prior to treatment, which results in this level of high potassium or hyperkalemia. We want to be sure that we're giving them a diet that's low in potassium so that we're not further contributing to the high potassium levels. We will also continue to monitor kidney function such as BUN, serum creatinine, and GFR. And we will want to make sure that we're monitoring fluid status by assessing the blood pressure and other vital signs, listening to their lungs, and assessing for crackles or fluid accumulation, and continuing to reassess edema. Also, a fluid restriction may be required as well as a low-sodium diet may be needed to be implemented to help reduce edema. 
Lastly, we want to educate our patients and our patients' family members that strep infections can reoccur, and proper treatment of strep infections will help to reduce the reoccurrence of post-streptococcal glomerular nephritis. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode of Let's Review RN. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram or at Facebook at Let's Review RN. And I also have an email that you can reach out to me, which is letsreviewrn at gmail.com. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.